Well, good morning, Springbrook. Welcome to the house of the Lord for worship. We are so honored and delighted that you are with us this morning. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Bethany and I'm the worship director here. If it's your first time with us or maybe your first time back in a long time, a special, special welcome to you as well. If you are worshiping with us online today, we want to welcome you as well and remind you that we have online hosts who are available all throughout the service to answer any questions you might have. You can click that request prayer button over on the right-hand side, and you'll be connected to someone in a one-on-one chat where you can share your prayer requests. We want you to feel connected to this community from wherever the Lord has you. Well, you have all chosen a wonderful weekend to be with us today. We are celebrating Youth Sunday, and so we are celebrating all of our students and our kids, but especially honoring our seniors who are graduating this year. So we are glad that you are with us. Pastor Matt is actually preaching a two-part sermon today, so if you missed first service, I encourage you to go back later on today or this week and hear the first part of the message. You'll hear the second part coming up here in just a few minutes. Well, now I'd love to invite you to stand, if you are able, for our call to worship this morning. Our call to worship comes from Psalm 16, 8 to 11. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore.
Our scripture reading for today comes from Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. When the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. This is the word of the Lord.
Let's come before the Lord together in prayer this morning. Abba, Father, we thank you for the privilege that it is to address you in such a familiar and intimate way as our Abba, as our Father God. What a beautiful name for such a holy and glorious and mighty God. We thank you that in Christ, we are your children. That the absolute truest thing about us is that we are loved by you. And that there is nothing in all of creation that can separate us from that love. Abba, Father, I pray for each one in this room to believe that that is true of them to believe that the truest thing about them is that they are loved by you. Holy Spirit, will you come now for those who are having trouble believing that it is true that they are loved by you. In this moment, we ask for you to come and convince their hearts that there is nothing else in their entire life that can define them more than their identity in you and your love for them. Father, I lift up each person in this room. I lift up those who are worshiping from far away this morning. Only you know the deepest parts of our hearts. You know them better than we know ourselves. You know what we need from you. You know where our broken places are. So will you come, Holy Spirit, this morning and allow each one to encounter you in a new way, to find hope, to find healing, to find something in your word that might encourage and equip and empower us to go out and live as your lights in this broken world. Holy Spirit, we can't do a single good thing apart from you. We can't sing a single word or play a single note without you. And we need you now to open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to be humble enough to receive what you have for us in your good and perfect and holy word this morning. God, we're in awe of you. We love you. We pray all of these things in the matchless and beautiful name of our King Jesus who is seated on the throne. Amen. And you may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Matt. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and this morning, if you did not notice outside, um, we had a lot of youth helping greet, and that's because this is Youth Sunday. Um, so it's a Sunday where we celebrate our youth. And in fact, right now, this is the first 11 o'clock Sunday in a long, long time that we're streaming live. So if you're at home watching, hello, and I'll get to why in a minute, but for now, if you're in person or online, we want to invite you to fill out your connection cards. I forgot I'm supposed to do this right now, but that's okay. Um, so uh, if you could fill that out, we'd love to get to, to, we'd love to know you're here. More than that, we'd love to hear, if you have any prayer requests, we would love to know how we can pray for you. Um, so please fill that out. Um, we also 
This is the last week to order pork for our barbecue fundraiser. We're going on a mission trip into Chicago this year, and for our mission trip, we are raising funds through pulled pork. Um, we do this every year when we have a mission trip. If you would like it, um, it's 25 bucks, and it includes a pound and a half of pulled pork, sauce, and four buns. Now, the pork and the sauce are gluten-free. Um, the buns are not, um, but the buns come in a separate bag, so if you are a gluten intolerant person, um, you, you're safe to eat the pork in the sauce. Um, and you can order that. There's little forms on, the, on your seats or you can order it online. Um, and I'm biased, but I think it's really good pork. I don't think it's like those fundraisers where you buy like, you spend 25 bucks and get like the little bag of popcorn. And then you're like, well, it was for a good cause. I think we do good food for a good cause. So, but again, I'm biased here. Um, Today is the beginning of, or I guess two days ago, the state went to mass optionals, so we've got our seats distanced, and um, we've got wristbands available, and we'll keep streaming our services, um, but so that is all happening. Um, finally, we have our Springbrook app, and we'd encourage you to download that. There are a lot of great resources. Um, one thing, and we'll, we'll talk about this more in a minute, Dan is here, come on up, um, while they come up. Um, you're about to listen to the second half of a sermon that the first half was preached from at the nine o'clock service. So we're starting in the middle, um, and I'll get to that in a minute, but I mentioned that because our app would be a great place to go to download the first half or watch the first half of the sermon. Um, but right now for Youth Sunday, we need to take a moment and we need to celebrate our seniors who are graduating and moving on, I, I don't like looking at them because I'm going to tear up. I'm sad about it. But can you tell us who you are and where you're going and what you're going to do? I'm Sarah, and I'm going to go to Purdue University to study computer science. I'm Hannah, and I'm going to University of Illinois to study engineering. Thank you. Thank you. I don't care. Wait, no, i got to pray still. You guys have to stay up for a moment. Um, some of you may recognize them from a couple weeks ago. They both got baptized, um, which was wonderful. And it was such an honor to be able to do that. And it was so cool to see how you've grown in your faith over these last five years. And I'm going to pray so I don't tear up. Oh. Lord, I thank you for Hannah and Sarah. I thank you for the way that I have just seen these last five years. I, I've been here five years, and I, I've seen them from middle school and high school, just the way that they have grown closer to you. Um, we celebrated their baptisms a few weeks ago, and in that, hearing their testimonies and being able to hear the moments where they started to realize, I, I don't just want to do this because my parents bring me to church, but I want to live this out. I want to own this. I recognize that following after the Lord is about obedience to him. And I thank you that these two young women have done that I thank you that they are following you. I thank you for the way that they're growing, and I thank you for the way that you are going to continue growing them. I pray as they go off to school that you would prepare the, just every detail for them. Not, not that you would make everything easy, but that you would prepare them and prepare their hearts and prepare the church to which they will belong and the community of believers to which they will connect. We pray you would prepare them for that so when struggles come up in life. They can respond the way we talked about in the first service and the way we're going to talk now. I thank you for the way our church has been blessed by them. 
And I, I thank you for the fact that our, our church can send them out and, and we can rejoice in the way that hopefully we've helped shape them. Um, and I, I pray, Lord, that you would just go before them and we thank you that you know, we know you go before us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So it's Youth Sunday, and um, at the start of youth group, we always do housekeeping. So first off, today is Youth Sunday. Um, this is the second service, so it is only the second part of the sermon. Today's sermon is, I've prepared an 80-minute message, and we're just going to start at the 40-minute mark. I'll try and catch you up a little bit, um, but um, I get to do this once a year. Um, otherwise, it'd be weird to like preach the same message to the students, both services, and I don't know, that's, that's all I got. The production team is back there thinking, why don't they do that for us? But um, tonight, also students, we have youth group, and at youth group, uh, from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. here at the church, we're going to throw dodgeballs at each other for the first time in over a year. Um, so prepare yourselves. So, um, Yeah. I'm going to catch you up, and I need to start by telling you I can only say the name Goliath two times this morning in this service, and I've already said it once. You see, when we look at the story of Goliath and David, we're looking at a story that the world tells us is about the greatness of one and the size and might of one and then the faith of the other and and the craftiness or whatever David is able to use to beat the Philistine. But in the first service, we looked at how maybe this story is not at all like what we hear. Um, we bashed on VeggieTales. I'll do that again this service, I promise. Um, and and, and we, we looked at this question. What does it look like to have a heart that the Lord will not reject? And, and to answer, the, the answer we came up with in the first service, and we're going to build on it in this service, is the Lord accepts a heart that understands the battle is not power. Just a moment ago we sang, I'm no longer a child of fear. I am a child of God. And if we believe that, what we believe is that the Philistine doesn't matter. We don't look at the armor of the Philistine. We don't look at the sword or the spear. We don't look at the Philistine and think, oh man, how will the Lord act? Instead, we understand that what we're seeing is power by the earthly standards. And the battle is not about that kind of power. We ended last service with the first words of David when he said, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? These are the first words of David in the book of Samuel. And in in the book of Samuel, the first words of somebody tells you a whole lot about them. Saul, the king of Israel at this time, his first words were, I bet my dad's worried about me. Let's go home. Is that the kind of king you want? Hopefully not. Some of you might say, oh, he cares about his father, but he's, he's more of like a, a bum. Um, we'll get to that. Um, but, but David's first words, David is not a part of the army of the living God. David is a shepherd who has gone into the service of Saul playing the lyre, which is like a stringed instrument. Um, and, but he's been going back and forth between where the Israelites are encamped in battle against the Philistines on one side of a valley, the Philistines on the other, and home to take care of his father's sheep. 
And his father sends him, and his father sends him, and it's been 40 days that the Israelites have stood on one side of a valley, and the Philistine and the Philistine army have stood on the other side. And the Philistine each day has challenged the Israelites. He's massive. He's nine feet tall. He wears armor that weighs 125 pounds. He has a spear that's got a head on it that's 15 pounds. And he says, come fight me. And he's called Goliath from Gath. He's a champion until David heard him. Because once David hears him, the whole narrative shifts. No longer is he named. He becomes a man. David saw the man. David heard the man. David sees the man. And then the very next thing that happens is David looks at all the Israelite men and says, which one of you is going to go fight him? And none of them are ready. Today we're going to look at the question, what does it look like to have a heart that the Lord will not reject? And we've already seen in the first service, the Lord accepts a heart that understands the battle is not about power. We're going to look at the second part of this story today. After David speaks for the first time, Eliab, David's oldest brother, also speaks for the first time. And Eliab in the first service we talked about, because you see, the story that we are in today begins with David being anointed the next king of Israel. And before David is anointed in 1 Samuel 16, what happens right before that, Samuel shows up to anoint the next king of Israel. Samuel, who anointed Saul. Saul, who was tall and handsome. The Israelites saw Saul, Samuel saw Saul, and they saw how tall he was, and they said, now that is a king. And then Eliab, Samuel saw Eliab when he was going to anoint the next king of Israel, and he said, surely this is the Lord's anointed before him. Samuel was sure. He said, if Saul is tall and handsome, Eliab is even more so. And so now Eliab, who has been a part of the armies of the living God that for 40 days has stood across a valley looking at this giant Philistine, we get to see what's in, what's in his heart. Eliab, his eldest brother, heard David speaking to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. Jesse had told David to go to deliver food and supplies to the Israelite army and specifically to his brothers and to their commanders. And and Jesse also said to David, make sure to talk to your brothers. Make sure to know that they're okay. That's what Jesse wanted. And so David does that. But what does Eliab see? He sees David asking these questions and he's filled with anger. And there's a reason he's filled with anger. If for 40 days, this massive man This champion, this Philistine has been challenging you. And you're the tallest dude in Israel? And you're not going to go to battle? You're probably pretty ashamed. The other men are probably looking at you thinking, Hey, Eliab, um, why don't you go? And so when David starts asking, Hey, What is the king going to do? Who's going to stand up against this uncircumcised Philistine, this person who's outside the covenant that God has with Israel? Who is going to stand up and fight for the armies of the living God? 
the tallest, most kingly-looking Israelite who is not king is ashamed. And here we finally understand, because when Samuel first saw him in 1 Samuel 16 and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him, the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees, not his height, not his stature. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And there's a few important things here. First, look is a theme, because everyone is looking in this story They just don't see the right thing. There's also another word for look in Hebrew that that happens at the beginning of 1 Samuel 16 through 1 Samuel 17, and it'll happen at the end. And when we get there, I hope it's like a goosebump moment for you all. Because the word behind it is do not consider. It is a rare Hebrew word that brings with it the idea of you look at someone and you deeply evaluate them. You look at them and you try and under... Okay, I'm trying to understand who they are. And, and the Lord is saying you cannot use, you cannot evaluate someone based on their appearance or their height. And, and the Lord rejects him because the Lord is the one who looks on the heart. But let me show you. Eliab, I know your presumption and the evil of your heart. When Eliab says that, it tells you all you need to know about him. He is a man who thinks he sees better than the Lord. Because he's looking at the one the Lord anointed and saying, I know the evil of your heart. And now we know why Eliab is not king. Do not consider his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Whenever we read about Eliab, we need to think about this verse. In fact, whenever we read about the Philistine, that I'm trying really hard not to say his name, Do not consider his appearance or on the height of his stature. It's part of the same story. When we're introduced to the giant from Gath, Goliath, um, when we're introduced to him, we're supposed to come into this story remembering what the Lord told Samuel at the start of the story of David being anointed the next king. Because it's part of the same story. You'll have to go back to the first service to hear how I do that. But anyways, David hears Eliab, and then he goes, what have I done? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. So David is asking people over and over, what's going to happen to the man who kills this uncircumcised Philistine? And what David is doing is David is acting as a king. You might think David's like, well, I don't believe that guy's answer. I'll check with another guy. David is trying to tell the armies of the living God, of which David is not a part. David is a shepherd boy delivering errands for his father. David is telling that army and the members of that army, who's going to step forward and fight this Philistine? He's doing what King Saul should have been doing. Oh, wait, he's not, because what King Saul should have been doing is fighting this Philistine. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Let no man's heart fail. We learn in this passage, this this narrative of the story of David and the Philistine, we learn that David is one who sees things the way the Lord sees them. And so when David comes amongst the army, 
he doesn't look at them as a man looks at them. He looks at them and sees their hearts failing. And he says, I will take the action that needs to be taken. Even though I'm not part of this army, let no man's heart fail. I will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. And I say to Saul, do not consider his appearance or the height of his stature. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And and he still kind of does, but he used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. There was a very important survey on YouGov recently where Americans were asked, which of, and I know you can't read it from far away, but which of the following animals, if any, do you think you could beat in a fight if you were unarmed? Um, And here we see either um, people's unrealistic expectations of animals um, or (laughs) or their overpowerful thinking of themselves or overestimation of themselves. So at the start... We have a rat, and 72% of Americans think they could beat a rat. And I wonder about the 28% of the other Americans, and then house cat, and then goose, and then medium-sized dog, and then eagle, and then large. And all the way at the bottom, 8% of Americans who answered this survey think they could beat a lion if they were unarmed. (laughs) Um, And 6% of Americans think they could beat a grizzly bear. So that means roughly 6% of Americans understand God the way David does. <laughs> okay, I'm glad you're laughing. Um, you would not be surprised to know that when they broke this out by gender, one gender was much more confident here um, than the other. My point here is when David comes up to Saul and he's like, I've killed lions and bears, it's, it's, kind, of a, it's kind of a big boast, right? He goes on to say, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And before I go any further, the Hebrew word behind paw in this passage is the same word as hand. It's no different the hand of the lion. It's no different the hand of the bear. It's no different the hand of this Philistine. There's a poetic way that he is saying this. He is saying, Nothing has changed. I know the Lord will deliver me. And Saul, who's the king, who should have gone out in the first place, who should be leading his people, what has he said? Go, and the Lord be with you. Saul, who does not go, says, oh, may the Lord bless you in your endeavor that I should have done in the first place. And Saul does not stop there. Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail, and David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. So a couple really important things here. Um, In your head, I bet you picture David as small. Right? He's a youth. Um, But 
Oh, they're gone. Um, <laughs> um, Acoline boys, would you be willing to stand up? I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, so they are young adult men. Their brother, Damola, was sitting over here earlier, and I must have missed it when he left. He must be in the bathroom or something. But Damola is just as tall as them, and he is a youth. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Um, when, when David tries on the armor, the language does not say, well, the armor didn't fit David because he was a little guy. The armor, uh, what it says is David says, I, you know what? I have not tested them. I don't know how they're going to respond in battle. We assume David's little because we want him to be little. Because we want the little guy to have power over the big guy because we don't understand that this story is not about power. The battle is not won through human power. When we try and make David small, which the Bible never says he's small at all, when we try and do that, what we are trying to do is trying to say, we're trying to make the story more than it is. What really is happening here is not an admin, it's not about David so much as it is about Saul. Do you know who has tested Saul's armor? Saul. At the start of our story today in 1 Samuel 16, the very first thing the Lord says to Samuel before he sends him to go anoint with oil David, the very first thing he says to Samuel is, why are you grieved over Saul? For I have rejected him. Just like Eliab has been rejected because he thinks he knows David's heart and he's clearly wrong and for 40 days he has avoided doing his duty. We see in Saul the same exact thing here. And those of you who know the story of Samuel know we've seen this from Saul over and over and over, almost from the beginning. But the point is, when Saul tries to put all of this on David, Saul is looking at David and he is saying, I consider his appearance. He seems confident. No one else wants to fight. Maybe this will get me out of it. We can assume that David was small or tall. We can assume the armor fit him perfectly. But what we know is David does not say, I'm going to match Saul in armor or I'm going to match the Philistine in armor. David does not say, I'm going to win this battle the way it's expected. What David says is, I know the Lord will deliver me just like he delivered me from the hand of the bear and of the lion. It's not about the armor. You see in this passage that Saul sees as man sees, and that is why he is rejected. So David took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Now, um, in the first service I said this, and I'm really ornery about this, and so um, no one teaches the story of David and Goliath right at all. Oh, I just said the name again. But they don't teach this story right. And one of the things, um, when, when I said I was going to do this, I was joking with someone on staff who actually brought up the five smooth stones, and what do they represent? What is the theological meaning of the five stones? And there are books on this that talk about if you want to be prepared to go out to battle, here are the things you need. Do you know what David's doing here? He's making sure he has enough ammunition. He's saying, well, I know the Lord's going to deliver me, but I'm not stupid. Right? Like, I... Like when David went out to fight a lion or a bear, he probably didn't say, if this rock misses, the Lord will not deliver me. No, this is just David being practical. What's further for, 
grounded here is we're supposed to see that David goes out to battle not with what the world sees as powerful, not with armor the way the Israelites expected, not the way, not with armor at all like even the Philistine is about to expect. David goes out with the items of a shepherd. And what David said to Saul when he talked about defeating lions and bears was, when one of my sheep was taken. David doesn't just go, you know what, I'm going to go fight a lion or a bear. David is defending what has been appointed to him. And so David, who is newly anointed at the start of 1 Samuel 16, is now the shepherd over the people, even if he is not yet their king. And so he goes out as a shepherd, not in the power of this world, but in the understanding that the Lord who's delivered him in the past will deliver him. Not because the Lord delivered him because he had so much power, but because the Lord delivered him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, and, and this is cool, and when the Philistine considered and saw David, when I was preparing the sermon, I, I, so we, we go down here, we started this story with a man of God, a priest, a prophet, and Samuel, who considers wrongly. We also have a Philistine who does the same. In this story, we see that so many people evaluate by the wrong things. They value by the wrong things. They have the wrong understanding of what it is to win the battle we are called to fight. Samuel had the same problem as the Philistine. Eliab had the same problem. Saul had the problem to an extent that we'll talk about later. Um, but, but the point is, is when the Philistine considered and saw David, what we're seeing here is that the one who is the most powerful person in the story from an earthly standard does things the exact same way as the Lord says is not worth doing. Man looks on the outward appearance. So the Philistine considers David, and then he says, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give, you your or give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Now, we got to go back to this yoga pole. Lions and grizzly bears. But then we've also got medium-sized dogs and large-sized dogs. And there's a very big difference. Um, in 50%-ish of people think they could beat a medium-sized dog. 23% of people think they could beat a large-sized dog. And to that I say, do not consider the appearance or the height of the dog. You can either beat the dog or you can't. Um, I, I joke. But um, when, when the Philistine says, am I a dog? Am I a dog? What, what is he saying? What is he saying? You have beat lions and bears. You, you know the Wizard of Oz. It's not lions and, and dogs and bears. Oh my, Right? Right? You see? You see what I'm saying here? I, 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 he's, he's making himself lower. He's making himself lower in what he's saying. And, and that's exactly what the author wants you to think here. And so David says to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, the things that the world sees as powerful. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, 
that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. The Philistine said, I'm going to give your body to the birds of the air and the wild beasts. What does David say? He says, I'm going to give your whole armies bodies. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. I need to go backwards a little bit. Because when David says all of this, he sounds arrogant. Right? He sounds prideful. And then we're like, but he's prideful in the way we like, so we're okay with it. Because he, he's saying all the things we want to hear him say. But when, when David says that all this assembly may know the Lord saves not with the sword and spear, David is not just saying, I'm bringing about new theology. I'm bringing about this new understanding of God. David is going back to promises from the book of Moses. In Leviticus 26, the Lord promises the people of Israel, if you walk in my statues and, at statutes and observe my commandments and do them, And he talks about, I will give you peace in the land. I will drive out the wild animals before you. I will go before you. And he goes on to say, I will give peace in the land and you shall lie down and none shall make you afraid. You shall no longer be children of fear. And I will remove harmful beasts from the land. And now we have a Philistine acting like a beast. And the sword shall not go through your land. You shall chase your enemies and they shall fall before you by the sword. Of of five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall chase ten thousand, and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. When we meet David, David is someone who's not thinking about all these new ideas. He's going back to what we've learned from what Moses wrote. He's saying, I understand what it takes. And, And look, look, when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, The language, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear, now there comes a dog. And if if he arose against me. So now the Philistine arises and approaches David, just like the animals David has talked about before. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. There are a lot, there are a lot of ways that people try and interpret this passage. People try and say, well, the Lord must have made that stone fly straight. And the Lord must have made it hit the perfect place where it would know, or where the Lord knew it would strike. And, And I believe that. But the text does not tell us that the Lord had to divinely do anything. The text tells us that David and his obedience did what he expected the Lord would deliver him in doing, and it happened. There are so many ways people try to explain the story of David and the Philistine that are so outlandish that it drives me crazy, and some are inside the church. This is an author, Malcolm Gladwell, um, and Malcolm Gladwell wrote this book, and I saw an interview with him where he talks about, we need to explain what David knew that no one else knew. And he says, what many medical experts now believe is that Goliath had a serious medical condition. He looked and sounded like someone suffering from what is called acromegalia, a disease caused by a benign tumor in the pituitary gland, one of the common side effects of 
I can't even say the word, is vision problems. Goliath was blind to David's approach, and then he was down, too big and slow and blurry, eyed to com- comprehend the way the tables had been turned. Okay, so the first thing here is there is an assumption that David looked at this guy and went, ooh, he must be blind because he's large and I am a medical expert. Um, And that is nonsense. Um, And I say this because the world wants us to figure this out. But I do want to tell you, I decided to test Malcolm Gladwell's theory at home because you see, Lucy, Lucy is a giant. 30 months ago, Lucy was zero inches tall, not even existing. At 20 months old, Lucy is almost 36 inches tall. That's um, two cubits and a third span, for those of you who read from the ESV. If Lucy continues growing at this rate, she will be taller than me in less than three years. I know that's not how this works. But um, we have a crochet frisbee at our house that we throw and try and land on each other's heads like Jess and I do. Um, And yesterday, like three different times, and I didn't do it on purpose. Um, This is maybe a weird illustration. But um, when I threw it towards Lucy um, to land it on her head, she would not even flinch until it hit her. Um, And again, it doesn't hurt, I promise. I'm not like, oh, I just want to see if I could knock my daughter out with a frisbee. No, it's like crochet. It's like a, it's so nice. Like you can throw it hard at me and Jess throw it at each other hard. And so so the, the point is, is maybe Malcolm Gladwell has a point based on the metrics of Lucy's growth. The problem is, is what, what's happening here is Malcolm Gladwell is looking back on a Bible story and he looks and he thinks in the way that man thinks. He doesn't talk about the heart of Goliath, so he misses the heart of the entire story. And part of that is because he starts the story in 1 Samuel 17, and he talks about what people don't realize is that slingers were super powerful. You know who realized that? Who realized that is Goliath. And Goliath, he realized that because he was a man of war from his youth. The sling was not an uncommon weapon. Everyone on the battlefield was like, well, it was not saying they're like, what is he doing? What is that thing? That would have been a known weapon in that day. Shepherds did not have some amazing technology that the rest of the world was like, wait, what? Um, no. The Philistine knew, but the Lord delivered. Do not consider his appearance or the height of his stature. This is what happens in Malcolm Gladwell's writing. And so because of that, he, he falls into the same trap, even as he acknowledges that the way we tell this story is wrong. We focus this story on David being small but mighty. And that's not at all the story. The story is not about how David used the power of the Lord to overcome. The story is about how David knew it did not matter what power was needed because he knew that God who had promised to deliver his armies, the armies of the living God, from those outside of the covenant, he knew that God would take action the way God would. David's faith is not in the Lord will make him strong enough to win the battle. His faith is in the fact that he doesn't need strength to win this fight. David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone, and it stressed that he did not use the power that the world expected him to use. He did not use the power that the Israelites expected him to use. He did not use the power that the Philistines expected him to use. Instead, he used a sling and a stone. There was no sword in the hand of David. And then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it from its sheath. 
and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And I'm disappointed that in the Veggie Tales, we don't see Junior Asparagus holding up the top half of a pickle. Um, that would be more accurate than anything they do. Now, I want to tell you something. When I was preparing this sermon, the Lord has been working on my heart because I'm very biased about how I think this story is told poorly. And I was trying to figure out how I could illustrate it for you guys. And so I started off with little David and giant Goliath. And by the end of the slides, I had this idea that I was just going to every slide make Goliath a little bit smaller and David a little bit bigger. Do you know what I was doing? I was seeing the story as a man sees the story. Do you see? I was doing the exact same thing and maybe a little bit of a step closer, but I still wasn't looking at the heart because the story is not about the cunning of David. It's not about the power of David. It's not about, well, David was a mighty warrior and therefore David was ready for this moment. The story is about the fact that David knows David's first step isn't, I'm going to go fight this Philistine. His first step is, will any of you, members of the, army of the or armies of the living God, will any of you go do this? Do you not know what the king will give you if you do this? And when no one else would, and when he saw the way the Lord sees that the hearts of all the Israelites were failing, then, and only then, did he come forward. And it's because Saul went and got him and said, hey, I heard what you were saying. Do not consider his appearance or the height of his stature, for the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. David prevailed with a sling and a stone. And the men of Israel and Judah, who were cowards, who were unwilling to take action, they finally rose up with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath. And, and remember, David said, not just you, Philistine, dog, like, and because call he called himself a dog. So, but, but not just you, but your army. And look, it came to pass. And they even plundered the camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his armor in his tent. As soon <laughs> okay, okay, we got to talk about Saul again. And I laugh because to me, this is like the most comically weird thing in this story. Um, and as soon as saw David go out against the Philistine, not as soon as Saul saw David defeat the Philistine. David's like walking out with his five stones and his staff, and, and Saul says to Abner, the commander of his army, whose son is this youth? He just sent him out to battle, and he's like, wait, who is this guy again? Um, and I wonder if he's, like, preparing, you know, he's got to send, like, a, a letter or, like, a fruit basket and be like, sorry, your son died. Um, I don't know, but, but it's comical, and it's especially comical when you consider, in 1 Samuel 16, a part of this same narrative, David is in the service of Saul. Whenever Saul is tormented by a spirit, David comes and plays music for him. So, and, and it says that Saul greatly loved David in that passage, and it's part of this same story and Saul sees him go out, and Saul, in his terror and incompetence, he doesn't even consider the outward appearance of the person he sends to deliver his people. And Abner, his commander, who is equally competent, says, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. 
And the king says, inquire whose son the boy is. It's like, oh, I just love that. I read that and go, if anything demonstrates the difference between Saul and David, it's that Saul says, who was that again? And as soon as David returned from striking down the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine still in his hand. David's standing there holding that head. Um, And Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. And it's here where the story ends. And we've seen this morning that the Lord accepts a heart that understands the battle is not about power. There's only one person in this story that understands that. It's not the Philistine. It's not Saul. It's not Eliab. It's not any of the Israelites. It's David. He understands. He doesn't think the Lord's going to give me the power and the might and the worldly strength to win. He thinks the Lord's going to deliver me just like he's done before. And you know what? Everyone should have known that. Because when, when Saul was anointed king, his first act as king on a battlefield was a, an enemy came forth and, took, and surrounded a city of Israel. And they, they said, we're going to kill all of you or make you our slaves or, or dominate you unless the Israelites send for help. And then Saul heard what was happening and Saul gathered all of Israel and they had a great victory. Before that, before that, the last time the Israelites needed to be delivered, they were, they, they were with Samuel and they were gathering to meet with Samuel and the Philistines heard they were gathered together and the, they came up against them and the Israelites at that point didn't have two swords amongst them. And, and in that story, Samuel said, Fear not, the Lord will be before you. And the Philistines wound up running away and the battle was won without an army assembled against the enemies of Israel because the Lord fought that battle. And under Saul, the first battle with the Philistines that Saul faced, his son Jonathan went out alone and won a great victory for Israel. Just alone. If we go back further, we're talking about the God who delivered the Israelites from Egypt. The God who led the Israelites into the promised land and drove out their enemies before them. The God who delivered them through the book of Judges. They should know all these things and they don't. The only person who does is David. He's the only one who understands the battle is not about power. The heart that the Lord accepts is one that sees obedience to his word as the true battle. That's the big idea here. David is the only one who's looking back into to Leviticus and to the law and to the places where God promises, if you will follow me, there won't be battles to fight. If you read the book of Leviticus carefully, when you get to Leviticus 26, God makes these promises of blessing if they will follow his statutes. I mentioned it earlier, but the biggest idea in them is if you will depend on me, if you will follow my commands, if you won't worship other gods, won't worship and trust in the things of this world, And if you will rest in the way that I tell you to rest, which is to rest on the Sabbath, to take the Sabbath year into account, if you will do all of these things, I will provide for you and you will live in the land peaceably with rest. When your enemies attack you, you won't need a standing army. You need simply to rely on me. Five of you will chase a hundred. Ten of you will chase a thousand. The, The big idea, and David is the only one who gets it, is that if you are obedient to the Lord, Power is not a part of the struggle. 
The struggle is about obedience to him in the first place. And so David looks at the start of the story and he says, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine? He's asking, who will be obedient? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Who will be obedient? Why are you worried about this man's power when you follow the living God? And that word living God is so, or the phrase behind it is so important. When the Israelites first entered the promised land, Joshua used the word, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you all of the people groups who were there. They know who this living God is. David isn't telling them anything new. They just lack the faith to have obedience or they lack the obedience to live in faith. However you want to put it, they are not willing because they see the battle as one about worldly power. They see the world the way that man sees it. And the Lord says, I don't look, I don't see the way man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but I see the heart. This is easier said than done. This is so much easier said than done. Um, Earlier I showed a picture of Lucy. Um, Having a child has changed how I feel about many things. And one of the things that I struggle with the most is I want her to have every advantage. I want her to have everything I can give her. In some ways, I don't think that's wrong. I mean, she's only like 19 months, so everything I can give her is those little water painting things where it's like it dries off and then they can paint it again. I mean, that's, I don't know. But but the point is, is as she grows, I can already feel the temptation to make sure she grows up to have every advantage by a worldly standard. I want to make sure that she's powerful because then she won't have to have fear. I want to make sure that that she gets the best of everything. It's like Goliath wore the best armor. I want to make sure that she's prepared for whatever the world throws against her. And I find myself thinking about this, not in the terms of obedience to the Lord, but in the terms of how can I make sure she's powerful enough to stand on her own. And it's wrong. It's wrong. It's a sign that I'm living subject to fear when I start to think these things. And, and, and the truth is, is that this is the way humans see the world. And I am a human, and I think all of you are humans. I don't know if anyone watching is of a different variety of creature. But the, the point is, is this is how we see the world on our own. And what's devastating is we don't often check our understandings. We don't. We have two seniors here today from a class that when they were in eighth grade had over 15. In ninth grade, we had five in our church and most of them didn't move. They just moved on. I used to look at our youth group and I used to praise the Lord at the number of students who graduated from our ministry and went on to college and stayed strong in the faith because the statistic in the world The statistic in the world and in the United States is that 70% of kids lose their faith when they go to college. And, And let's just be really uncomfortable for a minute. 
at our church, I can look and, and rejoice in the kids who come to our youth group that a high number of them stay. But we lose more than 50% of them between 8th and ninth grade. It's happening in the home. It's not happening when they leave the home anymore. And it's a sign that something's wrong. And we're working on it. We're doing what we can. We're praying. And I want to fight that battle in a battle of power. I want to figure out how to win this by saying, what could we do to attract more people? How could we do all of these things? I want to do this by my own hand. I want to figure out how to do that. I want to throw dodgeballs at all of you in hopes that you'll all come. I'm still going to throw dodgeballs at you, but I'm recognizing that's not part of this conversation. The point here is that we're, we're missing the big ideas. And it's happening, and it's been happening in the larger United States church for a very long time. For the next four weeks, um, we're, we're going to look at this idea. And it's the big idea from today, but it's, it's the big idea we're going to look at. Because I want to tell you all, the end of today is a question of what power do I trust in? What power do I put my hope in? Do I trust in the Lord or do I think to the things of this world? And I don't have a lot of clear action steps for you, except that for the next four weeks, we're going to build a flow chart. Flow charts are fun. You go, is this or this? Is this or this? Is this or this? We're going to do that. And we're going to look at what it looks like to live well in this world, to build up righteous cultures. And I want to see it in our church. I want to see it in our homes. Because parents, in your home, you are the righteous culture builders for your kids. You are the thing that is going to model for them most. Not by what you say, but by what you do. Um, I do this thing when I think, where I make a weird face when I'm thinking really hard. And Jess keeps pointing out that Lucy sees you do it, and now, now she does it. Lucy see, um, we went home like a week ago, um, and Lucy realized my name is Matt. And something happened, and she went, oh, oh. And so now she calls me Pastor Matt, because um, Riley, uh, Bethany's kids come over, and, and Riley calls me Pastor Matt, and she figured out, oh, that's my name. So now she calls me Pastor Matt, and it's so cute. Um, but it's also confusing, because I'm like, don't call me that. But, but I joke because, because she sees something modeled and she starts to do it. And that doesn't change as they get older. It's just the things you say become less impactful than the things you do. Understand God. This is the challenge. Understand God with such integrity that no matter what Philistine arises, you are able to respond with wise action that leads others to begin understanding God so that they do the same. Because when David defeats the Philistine. The Israelites do what they should have done from the start. They shout and go to battle. As, as we close, I want to I tell you, this is easier said than done. We have to recognize we're not wired this way. And the immediate response is, well, I have the Holy Spirit. And you do. And the Holy Spirit is working to rewire you. Are you helping? This is not easy stuff. It's uncomfortable stuff. It's not very fun but then it's so fun when you have breakthroughs. It's so amazing when you see how the Lord transforms us and we start to look more and more like him. I have always heard the story of David and Goliath focused on God will help you fight your giants. But the truth is, when you read the story, the giant doesn't matter. What matters is recognizing that the Lord delivers. The Lord is true to what he says. It doesn't matter the obstacle what matters is do we follow after him. I'm going to close by reading. I read this in the first service. I'm going to read a few verses from Romans 8. Because, because to do this and to live this out means that we need to understand 
this. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in creation, anything that exists outside of God, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because when Jesus went to the cross, he went to the the most powerful thing the world can do to someone is take their life. That's the end of what the world could do to someone. On one side, the Philistine. On the other side, the Israelites. The fear is, I don't want to lose my life. And, and, and the reality is, when Jesus walked to the cross, we know he said this while he was on trial. He's, he's being asked, well, who are you? I, I, I'm the one who could free you. And Jesus says to Pilate, he says, you know, with a word, I could match your earthly power and overwhelm it with legions of angels. But the battle is not one of power by the standards of this world. What Jesus understood and what we are called to understand is that there are no giants to fight anymore. There never were. Instead, we're called to understand the God who delivers us and who tells us, follow me, live in peace, and trust and obey. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you are a God who delivers. Father, we thank you that the way you see the world is not the same as man. We thank you specifically as we read this passage that you do not consider power the way we do because if you did, I think you would be an ugly God. And I thank you you are not. I thank you you are a God of love. I thank you your son willingly died for our sins to show that that wasn't the power to free, to, that needed to be defeated, was not the power of humanity there. And we thank you he resurrected to show that even the best the world had to offer really did nothing to him. We thank you that you have defeated anything and everything, and you will defeat anything and everything as we saw in the Revelation series. And we pray that we would recognize that the battle is not about power, but it's about obedience to you no matter what arises. I pray for, the, for today and for these next four weeks as we begin to dig into this more and more, as we look at how iron sharpens iron and as we look at how our trust and faith in you has to inform us in a way that it doesn't naturally do. I pray we, we, we would repent from where we are sure that we can follow you and still fight by the rules of the world. We pray that we would instead recognize that that is not the battle, that we would follow you in obedience and that our hearts would break for what breaks your heart and that we would follow you well. We thank you for the example of David and we pray that we would be like him. We pray even more so that we would be like your son and we thank you that his example was even greater. It's in your name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, we'd love to invite you to stand one more time if you are able as we respond to this word that we have received this morning and worship to Jesus Christ.
that is our hope and prayer that you are challenged and encouraged and convicted and comforted in all of the good things by the word of God this morning. Thank you for spending this time in worship with us. If you didn't hear the first half of the, of the message this morning, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. It is a powerful, powerful word. Go now in faith to love and serve the Lord. Have a blessed, blessed week in him.